This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Designed specifically for venture-backed startups, Brex is the perfect corporate card for fast-growing companies. Head to brex.com and sign up with the promo TFR to get waived card fees for life. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Thank you for joining me for part two of the interview with Peter Boyce II on student-focused VC funds. In this segment, we discuss the siloed nature of different schools on campus, whether it be engineering, law, business, and how Rough Draft has tried to bridge this gap between students that are often siloed. I also asked Peter if he's employing any sector or technology-driven thesis, and why or why not. We also talk about why this model can be attractive for LPs. We move on to discuss how they measure their success and the metrics that they use, and if those metrics are the same for other more traditional funds. I'll also ask Peter if there's any missteps or mistakes that they've made throughout the process that they learn from and cause them to adapt their approach. And we'll wrap up with Peter's final advice for both investors and entrepreneurs that are looking to get more involved in the university context, whether it be from an investment side, an entrepreneur side, or as a facilitator of the entire process. And of course, we will wrap up today's episode with key takeaways and a tip of the week. Here's part two of the interview with Peter Boyce II of General Catalyst and Rough Draft Ventures. You know, in, in my personal school experience, I did a lot of coding in undergrad, and then I went to business school. And I noticed from both of those experiences that a lot of the schools on campus were, were pretty siloed, uh, including their students. You know, how do you think about bridging the gap between the CS school and maybe the business school and the engineering schools and and many of the other schools to get, you know, the right combination of folks working together? Yeah, this is this is one of my favorite problem spaces. I'm so glad you mentioned this. This is I think I I picked up a uh, a secondary or, uh, you know, I think I picked up a, a minor in this when I was graduating from school. I'm so fascinated by this dynamic. So I think for us, number one, it starts with the way we compose the, the rough draft student team, for example. So this is business school students, PhD students and undergrads all kind of coming together on our team. So that's one of the ways that we kind of, you know, bake the the diversity uh, and chemistry into our program. Um, number two is, you know, we th- when we think about hosting events, when we think about offline community building, which is not as scalable, um, but it can be very, very, very powerful. We are always, you know, as inclusive of all these different schools as possible. And I think if you bring it together, if you bring folks together in an informal environment um, that's social, where people can get to know each other first. And then second, they can kind of figure out what they're working on and figure out if there's, you know, an opportunity to collaborate or something like that. That's, I think, the right order of operations. And so, you know, we've seen teams come together at these kind of informal informal gatherings that may have otherwise never crossed paths. And so I think one of our big kind of, you know, goals and missions with Rough Draft is to, to try to be that connective tissue across all these different universities. So, you know, our work building teams, our work 
bringing together student communities should be the one that sits across HBS and the, you know, the engineering school at Harvard. It should bring together Olin, very computer science focused, and Babson, very entrepreneurship focused. And yeah. so this is something where, you know, in one of our early metrics of successes, you know, we, we look at uh, the composition of the teams we back and we see how many of them actually have this kind of commingling of different schools. And what's really exciting uh, to see is when you have, you know, a medical school student together with an engineering student and a law school student. Um, yep. And I think we're going to see more of that as you, you create more and more offline forums for folks to come together in a low stakes, you know, non-transactional kind of, kind of space, which is what we're always trying to engineer. Is there any sector or, or technology-driven thesis or, or focus uh, within this approach, within the, the rough draft approach? And why or why not? No, you know, we've, uh, you know, our kind of, our, our mantra, you know, we're just, we're looking to back the, the best and brightest kind of young, you know, product-focused founders uh, across schools. And so we see robotics companies, we see healthcare companies, we see drone companies, we see VR companies, we see consumer software, enterprise software. Um, I think we would be, you know, doing ourselves a disservice if we, you know, picked any kind of one particular theme um, and just focus on that. I think the, you know, we're we're always encouraged by the the diversity and the creativity of what these entrepreneurs are doing. And I think, you know, I, I know I learn a ton by seeing what what the smartest kind of young people are doing and spending their time on campus doing. And so it's it can be mobile software for social networking with their friends, or it could be software for, you know, leveraging VR to help with some kind of, you know, some kind of a medical solution. And so it's, it's, I, I think it's amazing for us to be able to kind of see the, 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 the cross section of all that creativity. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, no, but if anything, we see the different ebbs and flows of what's kind of, you know, in vogue, so to speak on campuses. That's, that's one fascinating thing that we get exposed to, which is, you know, there are certain dynamics, there are certain kind of companies that get built virtually every year on certain universities, right? And so one of them is like the marketplace for textbooks or the marketplace for, you know, like used items amongst friends. And so <laughs> it's amazing or, you know, uh, a marketplace to find roommates. And so it's amazing to see, you know, some of them are kind of persistent. Um, but what's also nice is we've seen AI companies, we've seen more bot companies recently. And so I learn a ton. I think of this as like, this is like the, one of the best kind of science fairs uh, I think we can get access to. Peter, why do you think the, the returns for this model can be attractive for LPs? Yeah, I, look, I think if you, you know, I kind of mentioned some of these kind of outlier companies, but, you know, I think if you, if you ask anyone, if they could have been very early investors and supporters in Dropbox, Facebook, Snapchat, Rory Parker, DoorDash, like if you were, you know, early collaborator with any of those companies, you know, I think you'd have amazing stories to tell. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you'd have uh, you know, amazing returns. Um, and I think this is only going to accelerate, right? And so I think this, you know, you look back at the past five or 10 years and, you know, if you were to use that to kind of predict the next five or 10 years, I think we would probably grossly, you know, uh, probably underestimate what I expect to see. And so I think we're going to have more game changing companies come out of uh, universities. And so and I think the returns come along with that, because um, I think what young people are able to accomplish on small dollars with all these amazing services and the encouragement of the universities are going to be just these powerhouses. Um, and so, you know, I hope that we can be involved with as many of these companies as possible. You know, at GC, we've been lucky to be involved with, 
you know, we're investors in Stripe, we're investors in Snapchat. And so, you know, the exposure to what 20 something year olds can accomplish and do is something for which you, know, you just you just you hope you were there for the, the early stories, because what unfolds is, can be legendary. <laughs> you know, speaking of that, are the KPIs and the ways that you measure success for rough draft, are those the same as a traditional fund? Or are they a little different? I mean, do you think about follow on funding and, you know, IRR and a lot of the other traditional fund metrics or are you looking at uh, success a little differently? Yeah, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about uh, number one, just how many how many kind of ideas do we get to see on any given campus in a year? And so we pay attention to that. Um, you know, we definitely pay attention to uh, the follow-on uh, funding that our teams are able to raise. And so, you know, we've backed, you know, over 70 teams. Our companies have raised over $225 million in follow-on capital. Um, these companies have created, you know, hundreds of jobs in a very short span of time. Um, and so these are definitely, you know, metrics that we pay attention to. I mean, I think ultimately all of this kind of, you know, flows from having the, the best student team um, and, and making sure that we're seeing, you know, the, the, the highest potential, most motivated, you know, student founders. Um, and so a lot of the metrics we look at are the, the same. You know, I, I spend a lot of, of time, you know, working with our entrepreneurs and, you know, helping them think through fundraising, helping them think through, you know, applications to accelerator programs. And what's nice is in a short span of time, we've seen a lot of companies go into YC, the Teal Fellowship, Techstars, you know, and make it to the next level, raising seed, series A, series B rounds. And so, you know, as our program kind of matures and grows, um, I think these are definitely, definitely the, the, the kind of KPIs we, we, we need to, to, to track and measure against. Any missteps or mistakes that you guys made maybe with the original hypothesis that you've kind of learned from? You know, that's interesting. I, I mean, uh, you know, we, we make countless mistakes on a weekly basis. <laughs> uh, so I, I can tell you that much. Um, and I think, you know, with Rough Draft, what's nice is because we basically kind of created this model from the ground up, you know, I consider it an ongoing experiment where it's like, you know, on a monthly basis, weekly basis, we can take pieces out, put pieces in, um, and so I really, really like the the evolution and 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 kind of like the flexibility. Um, I think it helps us stay nimble um, and helps us, you know, flex to support student entrepreneurs in in the ways that they that they need to be encouraged. Um, and so I think you know when I think back to our original kind of framing, you know, when we kind of got rough draft started, you know, with my with my colleagues at, at GC, uh, Natasha Bilal, when we were when we were first kind of brainstorming about this, you know, I think one of the things that we 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 suspected was that a lot of folks might go to grad school. You know, we thought that a lot of the best CS talent might go to grad school and they might work on a project for a semester and then just kind of call it quits. Um, I think we've seen that invalidated a little bit, uh, at least in what we've done so far. Uh, We've seen teams, you know, take leave of absences from school. We've seen folks, you know, finish out their PhDs and graduate and, you know, work on their ideas full time. Um, So that was one thing that we were really cautious about. Um, and then we ultimately, you know, have, have seen uh, a lot of great teams get started. Um, I think the second piece also is I think we, we, you know, we didn't anticipate how quickly some companies could really accelerate to the next level. And I think we're, I think that's part of it, the, a function of the, the ecosystem that we talked about earlier, which is there are more, you know, sources of funding and there's more support for, for these entrepreneurs now. But, you know, three and a half years ago, you know, when we were kind of really getting started, you know, we didn't know that, you know, 
one month after we gave a, a team $25,000, you know, they would be closing a, a, a million dollar or $2 million round. Um, wow. And so, you know, we're going to now, you know, these are all the learnings and things that we observe that, you know, when we, when we take time over the summer, when, when folks are, folks are out of school, this is the kind of stuff where we figure out how we adapt and morph to, to accommodate, uh, the, the dynamics that are, that are unfolding. You know, for those investors that want to focus on deal flow in a university environment, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I think there are definitely a growing number of forums in which they can accomplish that, which is nice. You know, I think, you know, some of these universities are creating demo day programs. So, for example, Northeastern has an amazing demo day called uh, IDEA. And, you know, I think that's a great way to, for, you know, an investor in Boston to spend two hours and see the best ideas that are coming out of Northeastern. Um, you know, the work that Stanford does at Start Labs, they have a demo day. So I think just taking two hours and seeing what the best young people are building, I think is a great, great, great use of time. I think the second piece is, you know, a lot more of these companies are starting to kind of leverage things like AngelList early on. And so you can, you know, you can learn more about these companies, you know, as you're getting off the ground. So I think AngelList is increasingly an interesting place for them. And then I think the third is funds like, you know, dorm room fund, our work, you know, we're always excited to, to share what we're seeing and share our opportunities. You know, we're, we're so often the very first money that these entrepreneurs ever receive. And so, you know, we're always excited to, to get more folks, uh, more folks into the fold, um, helping these companies grow and scale. Yeah. And then on the entrepreneur side, uh, any advice for them, students at a university interested in building a venture funded startup? Uh, you know, what would you suggest or or what words would you leave with them? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the first piece is to recognize that the university is one of the most rich and interesting places to find co-founders. Like, I can't emphasize that enough. Like, they're some of the smartest people, the most talented people. You can get to know them. You can work with them. And so I think folks should definitely, you know, look at their interactions, the dining hall and their classes, their roommates as really, really, really fertile ground for finding co-founders. I think the second piece is to take advantage of all the, the amazing content that is available, right? So, you know, making things like a Twitter account, starting to share thoughts and ideas on Medium, reading amazing content that's shared on things like Hacker News, listening to podcasts like yours. I mean, there's never been so much transparency and distilled learnings available mm -hmm. online that's just so accessible. And so spent a lot of time trying to like aggregate those best pieces of advice online. We've got some of it on the Rough Draft website where we feature a bunch of blogs and podcasts that we think are really great sources of information. But I encourage students to, to seek that out because you can, you can basically do a, you know, like almost like a little bit of like a startup 101, you know, night school while you're still in school and definitely take advantage of that. And I think the third is to, to leverage the, the, the student email address to its fullest. <laughs> yeah. uh, reach out to all the VCs you want to, all the startup CEOs, be humble, be mindful of people's time. But I mean, the ability to get advice and to navigate pitfalls and to, to find mentors early on is, you know, it's a really amazing opportunity to do that while you have that student email address. Yeah, that .edu can take you a long way. Oh, take you everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Your startup is going to change the world, and the right corporate card will get you there even faster. The Brex corporate card for startups offers 10 to 20 times higher limits than traditional corporate cards, automated expense tools, and huge rewards like four times points back on travel, three times back on restaurants, and two times back on recurring SaaS spend. And all with no personal guarantee. 
Sign up at Brex.com and get waived card fees for life with the code TFR. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Assure. For over three years, Newstack has been raising capital on a deal-by-deal basis, allowing individual investors to select each startup investment. Assure is the company behind the scenes that powers this process. When we have 10, 20, or 30 angels investing in a startup, we can't put all those folks directly on the startup's cap table. So those investors are rolled into a special purpose vehicle that occupies just one line item on the cap table. And Assure handles all ongoing fees, finances, and K-1s for us. We pay a one-time upfront fee and avoid all the required yearly admin filings and bills. If you run an angel group or you would like your LPs to invest in deal-by-deal sidecars, go to assure.co slash TFR for 20% off your first SPV. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Peter, if we could address any topic related to startups or venture, what topic do you think should be addressed and who would you like to hear speak about it? Yeah. So, you know, this is a this is a really good question. You know, I, I'm always fascinated by the conversation around the, you know, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, which is just the, the new models and modes of, of venture capital. You know, I'm always fascinated by whether it's the work that Andreessen does with their, their team and talent and kind of approach to venture, the work that Notation Capital is doing around kind of pre-seed investing and working, you know, with very early stage entrepreneurs and providing first capital. So I'm always fascinated in these, these kind of new models, how they crop up, why they crop up. And I think there's, it's also an interesting moment to see like almost like the intersection of, you know, there are a few really good kind of sociology papers around the venture capital ecosystem. It'd be fun to think about the professors that think about the evolution of the venture ecosystem. And then the, you know, the, the fund managers that are, actively redefining that. And I think to think about venture as something that can move as quickly and become as flexible and dynamic as entrepreneurs and entrepreneur ecosystems, you know, I love to have that conversation and to think through, you know, what's what models of venture haven't we seen that might be coming down the the, you know, coming down uh, in, in the next kind of few years that we might expect. Um, so I think that's a that's a fun conversation that I don't know, you know, I've had enough forums to learn from and to listen to. So I'd love that. So glad that you said that. I, I feel like I have this conversation pretty frequently because there's there's just so many venture firms that look exactly like the next one. And I think that's probably the problem for a lot of LPs now is, you know, there's not a lot of things that are unique and innovative on the financial services side like there is on the, the entrepreneurship side. Yeah, I think that I think finding kind of the the opportunities for differentiation and invention and innovation within venture is a topic I love. Uh, and I think a lot of amazing people have perspectives on this. And so to get some of those insights together and also just to try to think through, you know, five years from now, what entrepreneurs that aren't being supported today could be supported with a new model. So I'd, I'd be really fascinated by that. All right. Here's a tough one for you. What okay. startup investor has inspired and influenced you most and why? This is an easy one for me. I love, oh, I love when you ask this. Yeah. <laughs> so I would have to say Chris Saka, without a doubt. So I was very, very lucky to be inspired by a lot of his work early on. He was 
one of the first VCs I ever got to, to spend time with and to, to learn from. Um, I, was, I was very lucky to be connected by a mentor my sophomore year. As I was learning a lot more about the venture ecosystem and startups, um, I was still so early and I Today, I still have so much to learn, but back then I had even more to learn, if you can imagine that. And I think hearing the way he forges relationships with entrepreneurs and, and also just the, the way he gets involved with amazing companies early on is something I'm really excited about. Because I think they're the kind of relationship and story that unfolds when you have put faith in the best and the smartest people early on, I think is one of like life's like greatest joys. Uh, I think that's when founders become your friends and your family. And that's the kind of venture capital. That's the kind of investing that, that I want to do with Rough Draft and with GC. And I think getting exposed and expired by that very early on in my career is something that I'm you know, insanely grateful for and, I, and something I hope I, I really have the, the opportunity to do more of. And finally, Peter, what's the best way for listeners to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I try to, part of my joke is I'm, I'm going to try to be one of the most accessible VCs. I, uh, you can grab me at Twitter. Uh, my handle is badboyboyce, B-A-D-B-O-I-B-O-I-C-E. Um, and so just tweet at me or DM, uh, try to be super responsive there. And then, you know, I'm always uh, available via email too. I'm at peter at roughdraft.vc. Well, I'm really happy that uh, my colleague, Mike Drosch, introduced the two of us. Uh, this has been a lot of fun today and uh, look forward to the next time. I totally appreciate it. These questions are fantastic. Like, I mean, I love talking about these these topics and I'm super grateful for the way you framed it. So yeah, I had a blast. And I think the more the more of this narrative we get to share and the more feedback I get on the model and, and opportunity to share the story is, is hugely, hugely valuable to me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Awesome. Well, I'm serious about us wanting to do it in Chicago. So if you are ever out here, I would Love oh, the opportunity you, to buy you beer or oh, coffee or something. 10,000%. My next trip there, Nick, you will be the first person I email. <laughs> All right, Peter. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Nick. You All too. Right. Awesome time there with Peter discussing student-focused VC funds. Peter is just a super generous guy. So if you're related to this topic in any way, I'd highly encourage you to connect with him. All right, let's recap the key takeaways. Takeaway number one is called Growth Drivers of Student-Focused Funds and Student Entrepreneurship. So Peter and I discussed how universities are increasingly playing a role in supporting entrepreneurs where historically that has not been the case. Let's go through some of those factors that are influencing this growth. First, Peter talked about the increase in entrepreneurship-focused classes. He also talked about the rise of computer science. Then we discussed how innovation, such as AWS, GitHub, and Stripe, have all significantly reduced the cost of starting up and getting products into the hands of customers. We talked about developments around university infrastructure, allocating more support, money, classes, and space for startups. Peter also mentioned how there were students that were increasingly trying to understand what are the sources of capital, where can we find mentors, and how can we connect with VCs? He cited the increase in content that's available to help entrepreneurs navigate what it means to start a company. He talked about the resources that are unique to universities that make them advantageous to starting a company. We also discussed the outlier success of companies that have come out of universities, some big-name startups that have achieved significant success, 
which has driven even more students to become entrepreneurs. And the final point that we reviewed had to do with the alumni network and the support that this network has given through angel investment, mentoring, advising, and how this has always been the case. But more recently, these folks have further organized into angel groups and even created funds to help in a more systematic way. Okay, key takeaway number two is called process and mechanics of the student fund model. Peter and I reviewed how this all works for Rough Draft and how they work with the students to get these startups funded. First, Peter talks about how students are really the core of the program. This is not as investor-driven as traditional VC firms. Rough Draft will recruit the student leaders that become representatives for them on campus. Those student leaders may be running clubs, hackathons, informal social events, and have already been identifying companies that are great on campus. And then after Rough Draft recruits those leaders, they meet with them every Monday, and those student leaders will invite the best two to three startups to pitch. And throughout this process, they move very fast. The student team and the folks from Rough Draft will make a decision on the same day of the pitch. And they will invest up to 25 k And in certain cases, they've partnered with First Round's dorm room fund when the startup needed up to 50 k to reach the next milestone. And all of these are done on notes, and the notes are uncapped. Okay, the third and final takeaway is called Major Learnings from Going Through the Process. Peter talked about a number of things that they've learned and insights that they've gained from executing this strategy. The first point was that One of the best ways to get people together from varying schools and get their enthusiasm and engagement up around startups was to host more offline opportunities. These allow people to get together in a low-stakes, non-transactional sort of way. And many of these offline events are inclusive of all schools, which allows more people to be brought together in a more social environment first before ever considering working together. To Peter this feels like the right order of operations. Get to know people before you decide to work together. Another side benefit that Peter cited of this entire process is that they get exposed to what's in vogue on the college campuses. Many of us who are no longer in our early 20s cannot pretend to be what's hot in tech amongst today's young people. This whole effort gives Rough Draft unique insight into what's going on on college campuses. Another point that Peter discussed was that when he was initially considering this effort, they feared that a lot of the best CS talent might just go to grad school. They might quit the startup and decide to get a master's. Yet, they've actually seen the opposite. Many strong teams have persisted with the startup despite great internship, job, and advanced degree opportunities. And the final major learning that Peter articulated had to do with the speed that some companies reach success. The team at Rough Draft did not anticipate how quickly some of these companies could accelerate to the next level. He never imagined that they would make a 25K investment and have a team raise $1 to $2 million a month later. While I imagine there are many of these startups that don't pan out and have their issues, clearly there are others that are capable and have the right formula for success. And that's a great transition to our tip of the week. And this week's tip is called Vote Early vote often. With a tip like this, you may expect that I'll try to say something clever about the unprecedented political race for the U.S. presidency. 
But no, this is not a show about politics, even if I'm borrowing a political phrase. The reason for the title relates to the student-focused initiatives and the long-term value that they may drive. There are a few things that we've heard over and over again on the show. An investor who identifies a phenomenal team working on the wrong problem. And in many of these cases, the investor chooses to pass. But others have talked about how they've made small bets early, not on the idea, but on the people. Others have become advisors for these startups, helping them fail fast or prove them wrong. In each of these cases, the investors see some remarkable ingredients for success. Maybe the entire recipe doesn't make sense, but the key elements, namely the founding team, causes the investor to vote with their time or their money. Another situation we often hear about on the show has to do with the strength of relationships. Some investors are completely passive, providing no value beyond easy money. They throw 100K in to top off a round, and the startup never hears from them again. Other investors are very hands-on, as we discussed in episodes 55 and 56 with John Greathouse from Rincon Venture Partners. This group gets very involved very early and builds a trusting relationship with the entrepreneur. Both totally different strategies with their own merit. But as we can see from today's discussion, there is tremendous value in making early bets on great people. Peter votes with his time and with money. He gets involved mentoring and coaching the student leadership team and the startups they're investing in. He builds relationships, not transactional in nature, rather those that can only be forged through good times and bad. If one of these startups achieves success, what investors are they going to want to work with at Series A? If the startup fails, but the founding team learns from it and goes on to build something remarkable, who do you think they call first? My bet is on Peter Boyce and the team at General Catalyst. With entrepreneurs, rough draft votes early and votes often. They embed themselves into the founder's story from the beginning. Peter also talked about startups that they review at General Catalyst, those that are much further along, where many more chapters have been written. But for those funded through the student fund, rough draft isn't just reading the early chapters, they are helping to write them. Okay, that'll wrap up the episode for today. Thanks again to Peter for joining us and talking about this very unique topic that's had a lot of press lately. And I know many investors, at least in the area here in the Midwest, have been discussing with me. Okay, for all show notes and links, jump on fullratchet.net. You can also sign up for the newsletter there to get the top 10 venture written articles of the week, as well as any unique content that we put out. All right, until next time, remember to over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for joining me. 